Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to the seasonal special of Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly Marxist podcast from Socialist Alternative. Christmas is a period of both joy, but of massive spending and consumption. More and more, we have seen prominent voices on the left claim that there can be no ethical consumption under capitalism, though. So do socialists say that this is true? How does capitalism create our products, and what can we do to fight back against that? In this episode, Ya'ara, Tom and Connor will be our panel. Stay tuned and over to you three. Hi, so today we've got something slightly different. I'm joined by Yara and Tom, and we're going to be discussing ethical consumerism. What do people mean by ethical consumption? We've heard a lot of talk about that over the last few years. What do people maybe think is wrong with regular consumerism? Why is that a problem? And why has it become something that so many people are talking about at the moment? On this issue of, of, of consumption and consumerism, it's clearly a word that has become rejected. It's, it's associated with something overwhelmingly negative. Um, and from a socialist standpoint, we would say that has everything to do with the way that the capitalist system functions. It's not necessarily that we would say to consume anything is bad, but it's the, the, uh, the culture around it that capitalism breeds that we would say uh, is, is typically uh, the problem. And just one example of that is the example of Christmas and how, you know, it's this period of the year that is, you know, looked forward to by lots of people. But what really is it? It's a, it's a sort of holiday of consumerism. Just kind of one example that would spring to my mind about it would be uh, the way that companies like Coca-Cola, like brand themselves entirely around the theme of Christmas um, itself. So really, when when you see a lot of working class people who, you know, on the one hand, look forward to Christmas, but also completely dread it because of the amount of financial pressure that it's going to put them under, that's really what they're against. You know, we're we're against the fact that we're shaped for all the money we have through this whole period, as opposed to um, actually using it as an opportunity to like, you know, spend time with friends and family and so on. Clearly, one big reason why a lot of working class people will kind of, uh, you know, dread the Christmas period in a certain way will be because of the way that it measures the care that someone would have for friends and family. It measures that according to how much money you can afford to spend on them. So there's this idea that, you know, if you're a, um, you know, if you're a working class person, you know, you're just about making ends meet, you know, within the capitalist economy as an exploited worker and you can't afford to buy super expensive presents, then that means that somehow, you know, you, you care for your family less than someone who can afford to, to shower family members in gifts. So it's one of those things that is actually very kind of like alienating. I think that's one big motivating impact behind how people understand the term like consumerism. It goes both ways. It's not just the way that like we spend. It's also an, a whole industry that is trying to sell us more and more and more things. Like, I know, obviously, I'm not from this country. I come from a country that doesn't have Christmas. <laughs> so I didn't have any of these uh, traditions. We don't even have a similar holiday, especially not in like that revolves around gifting in that in that sense. And I remember the first big cultural shock that I had when I moved here was the Christmas ads and how people at work and at school and at uni would just gather around someone's laptop and watch the Christmas ads. And I still don't get it. I'm six years here, I still don't get it. But I think that is such a brilliant kind of example of how this consumerism culture evolved to the point where 
ads are entertainment now. They're trying to be as big, to spend as much money, to make people buy as much as possible. But at the same time, they are an industry of it on its own. Like, it's not like people are going to go to John Lewis to buy a present because of the John Lewis Christmas ad, but they've branded themselves around this period in, in a way that kind of makes them the first place to go and makes people want to watch an ad, which is incredible in my opinion. And I also think like, you know, recently we've heard loads about kind of like uh, how to be conscious when you're buying things, every single brand is going to have like a conscious kind of um, part of their brand um, about how uh, they're using organic products or are they using like, you know, clean beauty is a big one, like uh, buying fair trade and all of that. And I think that's something that people have been really talking about. And at the same time, there's all these trends about a capsule wardrobe or trying to limit how much you consume because it's perceived to be like more ethical. But at the same time, we're still buying things that are being transported to us through the world, through the globe, that, that is terribly environmental. We're still you know, spending money in shops that use sweatshops. And what capitalism does in, in a lot of ways when we talk about consumerism and we talk about kind of shifting from hardcore consumerism to what people describe as ethical consumerism. We're talking about individual actions that kind of blame the individual for what you're doing because we all need clothes. <laughs> and is there really an alternative, do you think, that is ethical to the clothes that we're buying? Is there one shop that we can buy from that is ethical? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good question. There's obviously a lot of uh, companies that market themselves as more ethical and a lot of choices that we're told are more ethical. A uh, few examples, I think, environmentally friendly kind of things like you've mentioned, especially when we talk about uh, against things that, you know, are genuinely and legitimately bad for the environment, things like the dairy and the meat industry. But what are the alternatives? You look at Soya milk's well known about the damaging uh, way that, that soy is produced, but also even just the companies themselves are still owned by these huge corporations. Outpro is owned by uh, Danone, which is obviously one of the biggest dairy producers, but it's also a company that has exploited people really badly. And uh, you know you, that that just kind of goes to show that it's not necessarily ethical to be trying to buy some of these alternative products that they try and market as ethical to you because their reason for producing these things isn't to genuinely put ethics first. It's just to be making a profit and making a market out of the idea of ethics. Even if they're a local company that's just producing something, you're buying it at Tesco, you're buying it at Sainsbury's, you're buying it in places that are exploiting their workers. You're, like, we can't detach the products that we're buying from the system that we're buying it in. And that means that even, even if we're buying from a company that's genuinely concerned for the ethics, let's imagine a beautiful world where there is one company that doesn't care about the profits, only cares about producing things that are going to be completely ethical from every perspective. They are still within the system. They're still buying their resources from companies that are exploiting 
the environment they're exploiting workers they're still selling their products to bigger companies they can they can further produce and export them that are doing the same things so we live in a system that is unethical <laughs> that means that even like we can't build an island of ethics in the middle of a system that's so inherently unethical that's definitely um true and i think there are some really good points there and, and i think also like it, it, it feeds into all of these questions about the destructiveness to the environment of a lot of products that you'll buy from the supermarket shelves, as, as, as Connor mentioned uh, as well. It's not because someone wants to buy some soy milk that the soy companies end up causing environmental destruction. It's the, it's the process of production and the process of production for profit, it's not consumption. And I think another case I, I, I would give to illuminate this would be plastics as well, you know, the use of plastics in packaging uh, products. Because, you know, I think over the last few years, it has become more and more of a, a trend and I guess a positive trend that people are saying, you know, we don't want to use plastics on our products. You know, we want re- recycle, uh, recyclable packaging and things like this, which is a positive trend in the sense that people are obviously recognizing the damage that the use of plastic does to wildlife, both on land and, and in the sea, marine wildlife as well. But I think, yeah, the thing is, obviously, that's a fine choice to make from an individual moral point of view but also we've got to really address the roots of this issue haven't we we've got to address the roots of this question in the way that the system functions because you know it's like you've seen this trend as well of like certain companies to rebrand themselves and market themselves to sell more will go plastic free or they'll claim to go plastic free you know i think a lot of cases they haven't they're just saying it uh, to be honest but we also have to understand what the roots of it are as well in terms of how the system works in terms of competition for like different shares of the market, doesn't it? Essentially, in the sense that under the system, you have one company who's always trying to battle out with another company. They're always trying to outcompete themselves. Uh, you know, it's Coke versus Pepsi, isn't it? It's the per- eBay versus Amazon. That exists in every section of the capitalist economy, you know, different kind of companies wanting to like price the other outside. And one way that they'll do that is by uh, cutting costs on production. That's a really kind of basic starting point. You know, if you if you pay less to produce what you provide on the on the supermarket shelves, then, you know, you, more of that money can make its way into the in, into the pockets of the bosses via uh, profit because it's reducing the production costs. And one very easy way of, of reducing those costs is using materials where you can cut the cost of recycling or cut the cost of actually gaining the recyclable material in the first place. You know, it's very profitable for companies to rely on plastic. So what you what you are seeing is like, yes, a certain number of companies making that change. And, you know, that's all well and good. But that only really begins to scratch the surface, doesn't it? And it's not something that's actually sustainable on the basis of a market system, because if one major company switches from uh, you know, from the use of plastic, that, that is an increase in costs for them. And then the fear is that they can get out competed. So it's this constant like race to the bottom to, 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 to reduce those costs. No, I, I really agree with this. And I also think like it connects to the fact that if a company does decide to do it, they inevitably are going to raise the prices or, you know, we have the problem, like I think Connor mentioned meat, like the meat and dairy industries where, you know, the alternatives are by definition going to be more expensive, not just because the industries are different and a lot more expensive on their own, but also because uh, we have a lot of subsidies from the government. 
on certain products that do not include those vegan alternatives. Um, and I think this entire culture of talking about ethical consumerism is not just a lie because you can't consume ethically, but even the facade of consuming ethically is just used to blame individuals who are consuming the product because we have to consume. <laughs> so if like it's presented like there is an, a genuine choice, not, not only a genuine choice between consumerism, like bad consumerism and ethical consumption, but as a choice that each individual has. And I think that is re a really dangerous idea because even if we had that utopian kind of one singular company that produced everything in an ethical way, it would still, in the, ba on, like in the boundaries of capitalism, it would still not be ethical to use it because it will be impossible for a lot of people to do it. You would need, first of all, more resources, more money, if we're talking within the boundaries of capitalism because of the things that you highlighted, Tom. But also it would require more time. It would require more effort. You know, like, the, the, like if we're talking about plastics, you have this whole idea of zero waste. And a lot of companies are now starting to produce, you know, like um, multi-use bottles that you can go and refill your soap at this like one shop. But that means that you need to take time out of your day to go to that shop. You need to have something that would help you carry it you need to be able to walk there. You need, it, there's so many things that make it inaccessible for so many working people. So obviously everyone should decide what they want to buy and uh, how they want to buy it. If they want to try and be, I mean, I suppose relatively more ethical, but I think it all needs to come from the understanding that the problem isn't your individual choice. The problem isn't whether you, didn't have time to go to the supermarket and buy a glass bottle or the, the time or the money to go up to buy a glass bottle rather than a plastic bottle. The problem is that we have a few companies that are in charge of 70% of the environmental crisis. We, we live in a system that allows for this, a system that is inherently unethical. So one choice from one individual is not going to change that. Yeah, and I mean, just to kind of add to that as well, I, th I think there's really something to be said about how the exploitation of workers feeds into the exploitation of the environment as well. Because, for example, you know, you'll, you'll go to a supermarket, you know, you go down the fruit and veg aisle and, you, and it's very, very common, for example, to see like fruit wrapped in plastic when it doesn't need to be. Uh, and this has been a real focus of a lot of people of saying, you know, how blatantly irrational is that? Why does that make sense? You know, most fruits come in their natural packaging because that's how fruit works. That is something that also has to be seen in line with the way that production takes place under the system and particularly how different productive processes are like added onto one another. So just to kind of explain what I, what I mean by that, I mean, when fruit is wrapped in plastic, that isn't because there is a demand for it. You know, it's not because people were walking around, you know, their cities or towns and thought, God, I just really wish I could get some apples and bananas that were wrapped in plastic. It's because one very kind of classic Marxist idea is that it's the labor power, the labor of working class people, of workers at the point of production that generate value. You know, they generate the value that the capitalist economy actually runs on. So in other words, you know, the, the profits are the unpaid wages of the working class. That's a very kind of classic line uh, to, to explain that. So the more work 
that goes into the production of a product, the more value is generated um, for the capitalists, essentially. So if, for example, you know, you have workers who say pick apples or pick bananas, and then they're just immediately transported to the supermarket, then less value has been produced than if you pick the apples, pick the bananas, took them to a factory, wrapped them in plastic, uh, and then moved them uh, to the supermarket. So it's one of these things where that kind of endless pursuit of profit and finding new ways adds new layers of profit making to the, the, the provision of, of, of products uh, is actually just like incredibly wasteful and incredibly pointless. And at the same time, workers don't really benefit from it uh, because it's just like an excuse to, to lay down even further uh, exploitation. I think that's something that we have to like understand this in terms of as well. I think the focus that we put here today on not just the way that products are consumed, but also the way that they're produced, why they're produced and who benefits from their production is really crucial. But I think it also connects to the fact that the production isn't the only thing that's wasteful. It's also products being sold. Every, every business that you can see is throwing so much out. There's so much waste from everything, whether it's food or even clothes. You know, when the season ends, those clothes get thrown out. And it's, it's crucial when we talk about this consumerist culture that wasn't brought on by the working class. It was decided as part of this exploitive system of, you know, if something isn't perfect to every measure, a supermarket is not going to buy it. So it has to be wrapped in plastic. Suddenly there's a reason to wrap it in plastic. And if it's not perfect, it will get thrown out. Even though it's a completely usable cucumber, uh, it will be thrown out. When you kind of consider it alongside the number of homeless people, when you consider it compared to the levels of poverty, it's just ridiculous to see how many supermarkets and how many you know, shops just throw away things that can be used. And I think that is really, again, connects the question of like, can we consume ethically when if no one buys the amount of meat that is being put on the shelves in Tesco, it's going to get thrown out. Because the system overproduces for what the working class is actually able to buy. People understand that there are these issues. They understand the waste, the extreme exploitation, uh, you know, even the effect on uh, the environment and that kind of thing that the way that things are produced under capitalism causes, which is the whole reason why capitalism's recently been driven down this road of trying to convince people that the problem is just that they've got to consume ethically. but you can't just solve this as individuals. Ethical consumption isn't enough, and it's not the problem that we're consuming it in this way that's the problem to begin with. So the question, I guess, that we need to answer is how do we solve this problem? And I think Tom really touched on the key to it, which is we've got to look at the power we have as working class people, and especially collectively, uh, to, to, uh, to fight for change. And I think as well, you know, we've seen this phrase pop up in response to the idea of ethical consumption that uh, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. And I think, again, this shows that people really do understand what the nature of the problem is, because we would definitely agree there is no ethical consumption under capitalism in a, in a kind of genuine sense. Um, and that's not to say that 
what we've just got to do instead is accept that this system's unethical and accept that uh, you know we can have no effect. It's pointing towards the solution, which is getting rid of capitalism and fighting for uh, a socialist system where workers do have control over how food and how other products are produced, how they're packaged, uh, how they're distributed, so we can have control over things like waste or uh, ensuring that workers aren't exploited when we're producing things or any number of these issues, you know, on the basis of workers making decisions about how society is run, we can address all of these things and actually, uh, you know, make sure that the things that we produce and the things that we consume aren't uh, destroying the planet or destroying people's lives. Well, I think that's probably a good point to finish on. So thanks both of you two for joining this discussion and uh, looking forward to doing some more episodes in the new year. Thanks to our three panellists for this Christmas special of Revolutionary Ideas. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on all of our platforms. More episodes will be coming monthly in 2021 and no doubt beyond then. Until then, make sure you follow us on our social media platforms. On Facebook, we are Socialist Alternative, ISA England, Wales and Scotland. On Instagram, we're socialistalternative.ews. On Twitter, it's socialistaltews. And last but not least, TikTok is socialist underscore vids. Again, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year of revolutionary struggle against the capitalist system. Goodbye.